not a second Put down your phone, welcome to the feckin' check-in show We might be playing Tekken in the techno-drome With Shredder and Spencer, but never Donatello The boys are back in town again, shenanigans from QO Man, the listener can't stop panicking Now tell your friends to listen to the sound of us pissing in the wind And if you feel like joining in, then do it for the win The sun shines, but I find myself in isolation But fear not, we've got beer at the cooking station Audio and video flows are coming for you The trainer at Jimmy show, it's cameras action doom the feckin' checkin', so check your feckin' pulses Lentils, soybeans, chickpeas, whatever indulgence Takes your fancy snakes, ladders, or piss politics Just sit back and relax, we got your weekly fix It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show it's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack should do. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Feckin' Check-In. I'm Trainer and he's Toomey and we're going to be with you for the next 60 minutes or so going through the F-E-C-K acronym. That's Funny Observations, Entertainment, Culture and Kernels of Truth. How are you doing this afternoon, Toomey? I am very good. Uh, myself and... My fiance Liz were out this morning. We got up early and we went for a run and we followed that up with a walk. I tagged on to the end of the run and we were discussing a lot of things uh, in relation to our wedding, which is planned for September and the new announcements from the Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar, last night. So we're getting our heads around that, but we had a nice bit of space to chat about that uh, before the onslaught of humans uh infiltrated public spaces which usually happens uh, around now actually around noon my other news from this morning and i just uh, reveal my other news from this morning is i thought the water boys song you stole the whole of the moon sorry i've just said it there i thought the, the lyrics were you you stole the whole of the moon i've thought that for years and i've been singing that for about 15 years <laughs> no it's not that <laughs> yes <laughs> and I, I always thought it was a good meaning it's some sort of depth well, do you know what? Some, some of my misheard lyrics over the years have been far better than the ones in the actual songs as well. But I mean, the, the line before that is, I saw the crescent, you saw the whole of the moon. So he's saying he only saw part of it and the person he's speaking to saw the, the, entire, the entire thing. I appreciate that, but I was always happier with, you stole the whole of the moon. It meant a lot more to me. Well, there's a funny, it's a funny one from an Aerosmith song. You know the song that Eminem uses in Sing for the Moment, uh, Dream On by Aerosmith. Oh yeah, uh, and the, one of the lines in that is half is my li- half of my life is in books written pages, but for years I thought it was half of my life is in ghost written pages, and I thought that was so poetic and excellent. And when I found out that I'd misheard it, I stole that lyric for one of my own songs, I remember, uh, yeah. Reality Check for the lineup, because I, uh, I didn't feel like I was stealing it because it was actually something I'd misheard rather than actual theft. Another another one actually uh, from a Metallica song, uh, Fade Black, is a. Uh, he says, uh, emptiness is filling me to the point of agony. And I always misheard that as emptiness is filling me to the point of irony. And I thought that was fucking unbelievable. And again, it was, it was misheard. <laughs> I think I prefer your versions than the, the originals. Yeah, to the point of irony. Like, that's just genius if it's true, but it's not, obviously. It's not correct. Yeah. I forgot to ask you, how are you this morning? 
I'm not too bad. I, I, I'll confess I'm a bit hungover again. There was drinking going on last night uh, as you were involved in, as we had a call with the lads, and then I continued on after. But I'm not as bad as I was last week. I would like to address the amount of swearing I did on last week's podcast, which uh, a horrendous amount of uh, fucking uh, every second word nearly seemed to be me saying fucking when I couldn't think of anything. I'm going to reduce that a bit on this week's episode just because I think it makes you sound not particularly intelligent. So, <laughs> But I think the listener may have enjoyed that. I think maybe at least one listener did. Thanks, Fencer. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a bit kind of. I, I'll use the excuse that my vocabulary deserted me in my hungover nature, a hungover state. So I just went back to using swear words when I couldn't think of anything to say. Right, you are. Right, you are. Okay, so let's start this MFR off here with a, a funny observation. I'm going to go to you first. What's your funny observation for this week, Toomey? My funny observation comes from looking at myself in the mirror after what had happened to my hair. Uh, as everybody knows, the hairdressers and the barbers are closed at this time. And I, my fiance Liz, took it upon herself to give me a haircut that she had been hyping up for about a week or two before she did it. And um, I think what she had in mind was a trim. Uh, just to use the scissors but during the course very very early on in the haircut I said you should just shave the, the back and sides it'd be easy and I had a, a, a beard trimmer so I proceeded to show her an example of, of how easy that would be but I shaved off too much so I said to her look we've committed to this now I've done this I'm sorry I know you were looking forward to, to cutting my hair for a long time <laughs> and um, what you should do now is we should just shave it off at this point and right, Liz, okay. and, but Liz said no I want to give it a go so what happened was we'd set, we decided we'll go for short back and sides and longer on top kind of a fade and I thought yeah we might be able to do that um, and Liz spent about two hours trying to do this and what resulted from it was a perfectly crafted mushroom haircut so skinhead around the back and sides and then a, a mushroom type of lump <laughs> protruding over that but really perfected really neat all the way around uh, that sounds horrendous i'm sure to the listener and i've seen pictures of this and you're describing it very well a mushroom is very accurate based on the photographic evidence that i saw yes and obviously then the we came to our senses after going through this it must have been three hours uh, of perfecting the mushroom we, we we accepted that it had to be shaved off so it was my first skin hair head haircut for over 15 years um but just going back to the mushroom what is the was the mushroom similar to the step haircut that people used to get when we were teenagers or when we were let's say 10 years old it used to be popular that uh, the step it was longer on top protruding over it wasn't quite a mushroom i remember the step all right my brother used to have one it was a horrific looking mop of a thing um but yeah i think a step is maybe less severe than a mushroom maybe a mushroom probably has shorter around the sides and a step maybe isn't as severely short around the sides i think yeah that's the, the key difference this was severely short around the side and a, and a horrible mushroom but it is hard to get that fade that's the real difficulty with getting a short back and sides fading into the top do you like the skin head are you gonna keep it i was shocked for the first 48 hours but <laughs> because there was no color in it i looked like i was unwell um but now a, a bit of color has come back into it there was a hint of black my normal hair color and that kind of corresponds to the hair on my face so i kind of i've gotten used to it and i really like the low maintenance maintenance aspect of it as well so there you are okay so funny observation 
about haircuts great um so mine is related to queuing for shops really interesting stuff here um so obviously everyone's queuing outside shops now to get in two meters apart and what have you and uh, i was queuing outside super value in ashtown my local supermarket there uh during the week and a man came up to me and he was clearly drunk and he looked a bit rough around the edges to be, to be honest and he came up he's like sorry you made it all man and i was like oh fuck he's gonna ask me for money and um I, I don't I don't mind people asking me for money nowadays because I don't ever have any on me. So I only use my card almost 100% of the time now. So when I say to them I don't have any cash on me, I don't feel like I'm lying because I'm not. So it's kind of easier. It's an easier sell for me to just say, sorry, mate, I don't have any cash on me. So I was getting that prepared. And he's like, look, I, I feed this Robin I do. And I was like, what? <laughs> where, where the hell is this going? He's like, a little, a little red Robin I do feed it, I do. And uh, I was just wondering if I can go ahead of you in the queue and uh, I just want to get some bread for the Robin. And I was like, this is the most bizarre and unique request ever uh, to, to skip a queue. So I was going to say, yeah, okay, right. So you can go ahead of me. He's like, but then he kept on. He's like, I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to interrupt you. I don't mean to. And I was like, look, it's all right. You can go ahead of me. But he stayed there for another two or two or three minutes trying to justify getting bread for the robin. And then he proceeded to do this with each subsequent member of the queue. So he went up to each person, told them this tale of this robin that he regularly feeds bread to. And he wanted to skip them in the queue in order for, to be able to get bread. And eventually he made his way up to the top of the queue and unbelievably, the person at the top of the queue who was managing the queue went into the shop, got him some scraps of bread in a bag, gave them to him, and he went off on his way to feed this robin. Was there an urgent need to feed the robin? That's There seemed to be a lot of urgency about him, yeah. And uh, I, 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 th- I thought this was like... You know, in fairness, he was drunk as well. He could smell alcohol off him, so... I don't know. I don't know what his game was really, but uh, he was legitimate anyway in his concern of getting bread and getting scraps of bread. And it seemed to be something he'd done in the past because the the lady who was managing the queue had no issue with this. It went in, retrieved some scraps of bread, uh, possibly from the bread slicing machine that they have there, and just gave them to. Him. And uh, it was, was frankly bizarre, but there you have it. That is bizarre. Yeah. My other question was going to be, where would she have gotten the bread scraps so handy? She was well versed with this uh, routine, I think. So uh, so hopefully the robin had a good feed anyway. Although I've read recently that uh, feeding bread to birds is actually really bad for them and they can choke and die. So maybe the robin didn't fare too well. That kind of adds a sinister element to it that he was so anxious to get the bread to the robin, but that was going to kill the robin. I need to get the bread to the robin that will kill the robin. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Some sort of... <laughs> sinister thing i don't know yes uh, nice addition there uh, okay so let's move on to entertainment what have you got for us this week to me my choice for entertainment this week trainer is the last dance documentary about uh, michael jordan and the chicago bulls the last year that great team had together in 1993 um, they had been on a run where they had won f- uh, five previous uh, nba championships and the, the team was kind of coming to an end um and this was their last chance because they, they the owners of the team had decided they were going to dismantle the team and rebuild it after the after the season had ended and they all knew this in advance of the season um so there's all kinds of power struggles and political things going on within the chicago bulls and yes their last chance so so the name of it is the last dance which is apt and i just i think it's an incredible documentary and it shows the competitiveness of michael jordan and seeing all the footage of him at his prime in his prime uh, is amazing and then seeing the stories of his his manager and his teammates particularly scotty pippen who 
seven or eight years earlier had had signed a long long term contract and had been underpaid subsequently because he was one of the top ten basketball players of, of the time. Yeah, his name rings a bell, all right. I, I wouldn't be too familiar with basketball, but his name rings a bell. Yeah, he was like the sidekick to Michael Jordan. And yeah, he was really, really underpaid. And in this last year, for the first half of it, he had decided, I'm just, I'm going to pretend to be injured and I'm not going to play. I'm just going to wait for my contract to end. And then I'm going to earn a lot more money elsewhere. And he hated the Chicago Bulls, Scotty Pippen, for what they had done to him in terms of underpaying him. Because they could have given him a new contract at any stage. And there was no renegotiation on the table or anything, no? They didn't offer him any renegotiation. Right. So he was the most underpaid uh, basketball player, probably of all time, um, to to add a bit of hyperbole to it. (laughs) (laughs) Hype it up there. Yeah. And interestingly, they released two episodes a week. So I think this is a a new thing that I wasn't aware of, that you release two every week, and that allows the viewer to do some level of binge-watching to get into it and I yeah have you have you ever seen that before yourself no that sounds like a nice balance though I remember I was agonizing I was in agony waiting for uh, each ep- episode of Better Call Saul to drop once a week like it's in, yeah. in the box set in the binge watch era actually having to watch something release an episode per week in real time is is very very strange to go back to um, so two episodes a week sounds like a good halfway house between a binge watch and the agony of Better Call Saul so I think attention spans and uh, mem- memories are are gone to shit. Yeah, my my, at- my attention span has gone to the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> to use a use a phrase my dad would say, um, what it has it's gone to the dogs over the last few years. I, I find it very difficult to read a book. Uh, I'm constantly looking at my phone, and I hate that I do it. I hate that I'm constantly looking at my phone, and I don't know why I'm looking at my phone, but I am. It's like an addiction, and it's like a, a part of my body, and I need to glance at it. So. Actually, now when I'm watching a TV show that I'm interested in, I take the step of putting my phone on the floor and turning it upside down and putting it on silent. Um, And it it helps me uh, get through watching something and concentrating on it more than if I had it in my hand or in my pocket. But then, like, like, let's say I'm watching it with my housemate. If she goes to the toilet or gets up to make a cup of tea and we pause it, I'm straight to the phone. I'm straight looking at the phone straight away like my little treat now because I've been obedient for the last... (laughs) 25 minutes uh, and I'm, I'm looking at my phone I'm looking at nonsense rubbish Facebook uh, sometimes the podcast stats or something just some little addictive thing or Twitter see if we got any like likes or mentions or comments but it's like this little addictive little treat that you give yourself um, and it's, it's yeah as a result my attention span has plummeted I'd say directly related to when I got my first smartphone in 2011 it's gone downhill rapidly ever since I think a lot of people can re- relate to that and there is that niggling thing in the back of your mind thinking I'm addicted to this <laughs> you never quite confront it but you're like why am I looking at WhatsApp again or why am I looking at the podcast stats again or the same thing Twitter again and you know everybody knows or most people know that they are addicted to it but we still keep doing it what I do to give myself a break from that is I take an hour or two off it in chunks I, I was reading somewhere that if you have your phone on or if you have access to your emails, you're actually multitasking without realizing. So you could be watching TV, but you have your phone open. So you're multitasking. So you're actually, you're not getting a break, the same break you would that than if you were just looking at what was on the TV and just focusing and, and 
being present, as they say. That's actually a very interesting uh, outlook. Yeah, you but you, you you would be multitasking, yeah, because there's constantly a, a thing, a task in the back of your mind that's unfinished, but always and permanent. Yeah, <laughs> perpetual, perpetually unfinished task of checking the latest whatever the hell you're checking. Yeah, and it's not just that; it's it's WhatsApp messages. They're coming in and they're disrupting you from what you were focusing on. Yeah, it's true, and I, I think maybe the best approach is the likes of what you've described there of just giving yourself a break a couple of hours a definite break and it, it's it's kind of harsh you feel bad sometimes as well I, I would feel bad if somebody sent me a whatsapp message two hours ago and i didn't reply for two hours but i mean and, and, and if i send somebody one and they don't reply for two hours i get frustrated and personally annoyed and offended <laughs> <laughs> i feel there was i feel there was greater tolerance for that in the early days of text messages and whatsapp Yes, there was. And the whole thing with WhatsApp, of course, is the two blue ticks and the grey ticks oh, and yeah. the, the last scene online, all of this politics behind it. And you're looking at the thing going, you were online and you haven't read my bloody message. And you get you get kind of put out by, by that. Human beings shouldn't have access to that information because we're just we're too quick to judge the other person. Or it's none of our business what the other person was doing or if they had time to reply straight away. And, and it, fe- it feeds into your ego. Like you become quite egotistical about this and you're like, this person has, this person is aware that I, they have a message from me, from me, and they haven't read it yet. What the fuck are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, they think they are. I reply all the time within five seconds. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So attention spans are plummeting. Definitely. But one thing I can pay attention to actually is podcasts. I, uh, well, any time I'm listening to a podcast, I just set aside the time and I just listen to it. And sometimes they're an hour and a half and I go, right. I'm listening to this and I think it's because it's less of an infringement on my life uh, so I, I find that's probably the easiest thing to focus on out of all the forms of media that are available I agree with that and this is bringing us on to your entertainment for the week I'd like to talk about a podcast called Silver Screamers so this is a film review podcast similar to uh, the rewatchables the one that you were talking about except it's at a much more local level so this is a guy I used to work with Paul and his partner Connor and they review films in blocks of four so basically they pick a theme so one of them was independent films and then they will watch four films of that category uh, over the next four episodes. I don't think it's necessarily every week, but they watch four episodes in that category and they will review them as they go. But also they kind of go into the background of the films. They discuss uh, what it was like at the time, what budgets were like if it was in the 80s, like they'll talk about like whether the budget was high or low or whatever. Uh, they'll go talk about some of the actors involved. They did one recently on Halloween. So they're doing a series on slashers. Um, so the first episode was Halloween, but they discussed the entire Halloween franchise. Um, I don't I don't know if you've seen any of those films yourself, have you? I've seen Halloween. Yeah, I've seen Halloween, the first one, definitely. And I've seen some of the sequels. The sequels kind of blend into each other for me. Yeah, so it's, it's quite a messy sequel uh, timeline with Halloween. So initially there was the first film was released and then there was a sequel a couple of years later. That was, that was a direct sequel to the first one. Uh, then the third film was a completely unrelated story because they were going to go off in an anthology direction uh, and do a different film every year about something that happened on Halloween, but not related to Michael Myers. Then that didn't perform well in the box office, so they scrapped that idea, went back to Michael Myers for Halloween 4, 5 and 6. Uh, and then... After the success of the likes of Scream and other films around the mid to late 90s, they decided to go back to the Jamie Lee Curtis storyline and they disregarded the lineage or the the storyline from Halloween's 4, 5 and 6 and <laughs> Halloween H, H2O was a sequel to Halloween 2, disregarding Halloween 3, 4, 5 and 6. <laughs> 
Then <laughs> they go into all this on the podcast, which it's quite an entertaining listen, but I'm just summarizing it here. Then they, uh, they uh, because Halloween H2O was successful, they released a sequel to that, which starred Jamie Lee Curtis again, which killed her off in the first five minutes. Uh, but then they decided to reboot the franchise. So Rob Zombie directed Halloween's one and two. So now at this point, we've got two films called Halloween and two films called Halloween two. And these are not related at all to the original series. Uh, so after Rob Zombie did his Halloween's one and two, it was fallow for a few years. There's absolutely no Halloweens. And now they've done a sequel in 2018, which is a direct sequel to Halloween 1, but disregards all of the other <laughs> Halloween films and has Jamie Lee Curtis in it, even though her character was killed off in Halloween Resurrection. So it's absolutely mental. But uh, that's... This is a Pandora's box. Yeah, but that's the kind of stuff that they get into on the uh, episodes. It's quite an entertaining listen. And it's driven me to go and watch films that I've never watched before because I was looking through the list of films that they review and I hadn't really seen too many of them. I had seen Donnie Darko, so I listened to that one. Uh, I had seen Halloween, so I listened to that. But I hadn't seen Escape from LA, or sorry, Escape from New York, which was out in 1981, another John Carpenter film, uh, the director of Halloween. And uh, I went and watched Escape from New York because, well, it's regarded as a classic, but the fact that I knew they were going to be talking about it on an episode drove me to go and watch it. Mm. And then I listened to the episode directly after. So I think we were talking about this recently, like watching an episode of Better Call Saul and then listening to something about it. And it's quite an enjoyable package of a film and then a podcast. So um, the list of episodes that they have is about 13, I think, at the moment. And it's driven me to go and watch uh, new films as well. So that's the Silver Screamers podcast. Uh, it's Paul and Connor are the two hosts and it's on Spotify and everywhere else. Great stuff, Trainer. I'm definitely going to go to check that podcast out and also escape from new york uh, which i wasn't aware of so that brings us nicely into the midpoint of the show and the song of the week and this week's song of the week is the song that i mentioned earlier on in this podcast with the correct lyrics it's the water boys it's the whole of the moon
Okay, that was the whole of the moon there. That brings back so many memories for me of uh, our friend Mark's wedding. For some reason, the Water Boys featured a lot uh, at that wedding. There was late night sing songs where we were singing that song and others. And then one of the bands, one of the many bands at that wedding, uh, played uh, played the whole <laughs> of the moon on day two, which was really enjoyable. We were sitting outside. It was a nice day. And there was a band there playing the whole of the moon. So, yeah, good memories with that song. Good associations. Yeah. Did you ever get into the Water Boys apart from that? I did. I quite... I'm quite into them. I've seen them several times live, um, and they're a really good live act. I saw them outside at the Ivy Gardens a few years ago. I won tickets in the Metro Herald, believe it or not. Um, And then I saw them in the Olympia, and I've seen them. They supported Neil Young a few years ago as well, so I saw them maybe three or maybe four times, actually. I might have seen them another time as well, yeah. Um, So for the listener, could you reveal the second most popular Waterboys song that the listener may have heard of? Uh, fisherman's blues i reckon is probably the second most popular i wish i was a fisherman no 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 no. far away from dry land you know that one (laughs) yes i've I've heard you sing it several nights so yeah apologies for getting the second line of the song there Uh, sorry (laughs) yeah that's that's a karaoke favorite of mine as well um okay so that's the water boy so we're moving on to culture so do you want to go ahead with your cultural point for this week uh, this is a rejection I got from uh, a scientific paper that I, uh, I'll just say psychology because I'm not going to skirt around it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I submitted a psychology article to a psychology journal and this article has been uh, uh, a research that I have been trying to get into different journals for over a year and I've been rejected from about 10 different journals, which actually isn't that uncommon because uh, it's very competitive to get into journals and they kind of, they want stuff that will have an impact that's kind of novel or different or there's just, there's a lot of competition out there. So it's not unusual to be rejected, but I'm just getting a bit fed up with the harsh feedback you get from journals. Um, so it's need, needlessly harsh. So some journals, what they will do is they will reject your paper straight away. And they're actually doing you a favor there because they're giving you a quick review. They just reject it straight away. And that allows you to apply to different journals. Whereas if you don't, if you don't do that, they have to find reviewers to go through your paper thoroughly. And it can actually, the process can take on average between three and six months. So by them telling you straight away, it's normally a good thing. So this guy says, dear to me, <laughs> he obviously didn't say that in his email. Yeah. So he starts off quite nice. Uh, I'm sorry to bring bad news, but I'm actually his, his grammar was very bad. So I'm just going to read it out verbatim. Uh, Excellent. Because <laughs> there's some language errors in here. Uh, dear Toomey, I'm sorry to bring bad news, but I'm last, I'm fast. I'm last, I'm fast. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> what did he even mean to say there? Maybe he meant I'm getting back to you quickly so you don't lose time and can submit your paper to a different outlet. But he said, but I'm last, I'm fast. Okay. Uh, and he's, he's quite nice. You and your co- colleagues clearly put a lot of effort and enthusiasm into your protocol, and it's my duty to give you a clear rationale for my decision to not send your paper out for review. Well, first of all, I'm not asking for a clear rationale. I know it's not suitable for your journal. It's a quick decision that you're making, and this is common practice, so I don't need your rationale. That's the first thing. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, here's a list of points. This topic is something I won't spend much time, but I have to tell you... Can I interrupt you very quickly? Is English this man's first language, do you believe? 
I believe this man's first language is Italian because his name seems to be Italian. I could do it in an Italian accent if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I want to spend much time. And I'm going to read it verbatim. This is something I won't spend much time, but I have to tell you, and I don't have any trust in the big five personality theories. If you came across some of its proponents, advocates, of course, you would have a different reaction. I acknowledge that. But I hardly consider it a theory. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm flowing out of the Italian accent. I know this is grand. Go on. It is just a statistical elaboration of external descriptors of behaviours which do not convey any meaning about what is of, of interest to clinicians, that is, cognitive or affective processes. So basically, no interest on my side on anything related to that. <laughs> I, said, okay, I, t- I said to myself, okay, fair enough. You've, you're strongly against the theory that I was investigating. That's fair enough. But he goes on. <laughs> And he he goes on to say, but if that was the problem, I would have been compelled to give you a chance and invite other reviewers. But there are other problems in your paper and they are serious. (laughs) Oh, my God. So he feels compelled. (laughs) So basically saying, I'm not interested in your topic. But even if I was interested in your topic, I still wouldn't accept your measly shit paper. You piece (laughs) of shit. And then he, he, he makes a lot of false accusations. The approach is not described. What are the clinicians doing? Uh, he says, this is his first comment. And the clinicians were doing stuff and the approach was described. So that's a lie. Um, <laughs> and the program I was developing had seven sessions. So he goes on to say, seven se- sessions to dot, dot, dot. Have an understanding of your own personality. And then? Um, so, and then he goes on to say, so your protocol doesn't provide a sufficient answer to the so what question, <laughs> which is a, a weird way of saying you, like your findings won't make an impact. So basically okay. saying, so what? Um, and then he goes on to say, your paper is nothing related to the clinical field. Um, and he says, you only have one measure and unrelated to anything. <laughs> So the measure you use in your paper is unrelated to anything. And then he says at the end, to conclude, in short, things may be interest when you develop a structured approach to try and deliver in the clinical field after having ethics approval, by the way, and measure outcomes in a much more structured way. We did have ethical approval if you'd read the paper. Uh, Given the rationale is not something that I would ever buy. I didn't, I wasn't trying to sell it to you. Throwing in words like ever unnecessarily, uh, just to like strengthen his displeasure with the yeah, papers. Disgust. Given the rationale is not something I would ever buy, but at least you could have a more rigorous testing. Thank you for submitting. I wish you the best in your continued research. Uh, have you encountered this man before for any reason in, in any way? No, I haven't. So he doesn't have a personal grudge against you or anything? He like doesn't that. have a personal grudge, but this is my culture of the week. It's the culture of negative, unnecessarily negative feedback from these reviewers who are in a position of power because I'm coming cap in hand with my paper and I want them to accept it into their journal. And I, I don't mind rejection. I don't mind like his first reason even. But for him to to just go off on one, go on a rant about everything he hates about the paper, I think it's completely unnecessary. And it's quite common actually when you get uh, rejections from when you uh, submit to journals I, I, it doesn't help yeah he sounded like he was enjoying that and he was getting he was getting a kick out of his negative criticism yeah and some people say feedback is a gift but it depends on the type of feedback doesn't it well yeah it does uh, I mean like that that doesn't to me that doesn't sound constructive and it also doesn't sound like he's read the paper based on what you've said so that's yeah ah, yeah fuck him fuck him <laughs> yeah. do you know what he's a candidate for 
What? <laughs> this week's two-faced fake snake of the week. Oh, yes. Absolutely. 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 Congratulations to him. Fair play. He really put the work in there to be nominated and to win the award of two-faced fake snake of the week. Um, right. So moving on to my cultural point this week. This one is a bit flimsy. I apologize. But it's something that came to me and I thought, fuck it. You know, it'll... it'll uh, It'll do. It'll maybe spark. It'll maybe no. It'll maybe spark an interesting discussion, even though itself it's a bit thin. So okay. I was going to ask you: during the lockdown, have you been adhering to regular meal times? Your your breakfasts, your lunches, your dinners. I have not. My breakfasts are pretty similar. Uh, my lunches, uh, when I work at home, can be anywhere between twelve and two. I guess it's not that different. But the biggest change for me is the dinner time. So me and Liz have started pushing our dinner out to sometimes eight o'clock. So it's quite different for okay. us. So I find that I'm not really eating normal meals. I'm just eating when I'm hungry. So I'm not necessarily having breakfast, but I might eat something at 12, but which, would be, which would be quite large and substantial. And I found myself eating whatever the hell I want at whatever time of day I want. And I think it's probably uh, because of the fact that we're in lockdown and you're in indoors nearly all the time. But... I was going to have a steak for breakfast today. I bought a packet of steaks. There's two in it. I had one yesterday evening. I was like, I'm going to have steak for breakfast. And then I realized to myself that there is this weird cultural thing in Ireland, and probably lots of other Western countries as well, where people would like guffaw at you if you said you were going to have a steak for breakfast. Or people would be like, oh, I wouldn't eat that in the morning. Or uh, it's a bit early for that. Or it's a bit early for this. And I was wondering, do you subscribe to that type of thinking that there are certain foods reserved only for breakfast? And you shouldn't have, for example, a pizza for breakfast or you shouldn't have, um, let's say, like a, a sandwich for breakfast. But you can have sausages and eggs and cereal and toast. I don't like the limitations that other people put on you when they say steak for breakfast. How could you do that? <laughs> they almost humiliate you for thinking outside the box. Um, exactly yeah and it's, it's these certain foods that oh you're allowed to have this for this but you're not allowed to have it for that and the people kind of go off on like oh times of the day and you know I couldn't have that for breakfast personally I enjoy if I get a takeaway and I eat half of it I love nothing more than having the rest of that takeaway cold from the fridge for breakfast and that could be something like uh, I get a thing called a Singapore rice box so it's rice with curry paste uh, pork chicken and prawns and it tastes even nicer the next day cold and I have that for breakfast anytime I order it because I never finish the whole thing. Cold pizza, I find, is one of my favorite foods to have for breakfast. Uh, and and actually, indeed, uh, steak as well. I've had steak for breakfast a few times because it's, it's kind of an American diner staple, steak, steak and eggs. And the first time I heard of that, um, I thought, Jesus, that's mental, having a steak for breakfast. But then I just cooked myself a steak for breakfast and had it with eggs. I was like, this is delicious. And why wouldn't I enjoy it? Because it's 10 a.m. rather than 7 p.m. Let me play devil's advocate here for a second. Uh if you had that lovely steak in the morning for breakfast, uh, how does that affect the other meals that you have in the day? Um, well, I, I would say a steak is about as filling as, let's say, so one of the things I make is I'd make a, an omelette, maybe a two-egg omelette or a one-egg omelette, and have it in a bagel. Um, and I'd say a steak is about the same amount of food as that two-egg omelette in a bagel. So it's just about as filling. So I don't think it really has any effect on anything for the rest of the day so you'd have a normal lunch and a normal dinner then. well as, as as i said earlier i haven't really been going by normal meals normal meal time so i'm just eating when i'm hungry but i would have two more meals at some point in the day yeah definitely what would hold me back from having the steak in the morning say as an example would be that i think personally that would be in the back of my mind it'd be like oh i've had a steak this morning i better have a lighter lunch i better have 
I better have carrots and hummus for dinner. It would just be a niggling almost guilt in the back of my mind. But that's silly. And I think there is a guilt attached to it as well. There's some kind of Irish Catholic hangover guilt yeah. of uh, having correct breakfast food at the correct time. But when you look into it, there's a lot of hypocrisy about what types of food are acceptable for breakfast and which ones aren't. I mean, if you if you look at a bowl of cereal, for example, crunchy nut cornflakes or frosties, you're essentially just having sweets for breakfast. Like th- That's basically what you're having. What's the difference in having that or a packet of M&Ms? Like, yeah, they're uh, high in sugar. They're not good for you. Yeah, it's mad. And I can have a Danish pastry or a croissant, uh, but I wouldn't have a slice of cake for breakfast or something like that. You know, it's it's just uh, there's a lot of lot of double standards going on for about what's acceptable to eat for breakfast and what isn't. And as far as I'm aware, in places like Thailand and uh, those types of countries, they basically eat rice and meat for breakfast, and there's no distinguishment or there's nothing that distinguishes a, a breakfast meal and a lunch meal and a dinner meal they just eat that's interesting the sti- same types of food whenever they want uh, for breakfast so it's not it's not across the entire world but it definitely is in the likes of the uk ireland uh, and the us and places like that and like if you look at american uh, food they they would have like pancakes for breakfast like which is essentially you're having cake essentially for breakfast that's what that's what a pancake is it's a sweet breaded cake covering it in maple syrup um but then like I suppose you wouldn't go in and order like a slice of cake or you wouldn't go in and have like a, a chocolate brownie, but it's not too far off from what you're eating. It's a very interesting cultural phenomenon. And then you have the Italians and the Spanish who don't tend to have anything for breakfast. They're just having an espresso or whatever. You shouldn't follow the rules of your particular location when it comes to deciding what to eat at breakfast, I think. I think just basically eat whatever you want and fuck the haters. Yeah. Fuck them all. I'd be nearly tempted to put them down for Two-Faced Fake Snake of the Week, but that award has already gone <laughs> well, to the editor. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, we can't have two Two-Faced Fake Snakes of the Week, so maybe... Uh, they were nominated. They got they got off lightly this time. <laughs> and who are the they? The food haters. I don't know. They don't exist. <laughs> they're in my head. Yes, they're the best snakes. Okay, so moving on to uh, Kernel of Truth or Kernel of Wisdom. What have you got for us this week? My Kernel of Wisdom this week is based on some reading I've been doing around open source principles. Um, I've kind of been off and on interested in this. I just find it a fascinating area, uh, open source, that you could put up source code on the internet uh, and it's free for anybody to use in, in whatever way they want and they can improve that product or use it in their own way. And it's kind of collaboration at scale. So you're you're putting up the source code and then anyone you're basically using the power of the Internet to involve everyone in the development of a software product or a different products just the, the whole principle of it. Um, and I just found an interesting metaphor, and that was the cathedral versus the bazaar. So basically, traditionally in uh, product development. Uh, there's there's been the cathedral model and this extends into science as well if you think of products in science as uh, the research that people come up with so that's why I was thinking of it because I was thinking of its use in science but um, if you look at the cathedral traditional model that's been in existence this is when and this is according to uh, a, a author called Raymond was his second name I can't remember his first name um, But he said the cathedral model is when software products are built like cathedrals, carefully crafted by individual wizards or small bands of of mages working in splendid isolation with no beta to be released before its time. So the model there is there's highly skilled people, highly qualified people who lock themselves away in isolation 
and they perfect the product and then release the product when it's absolutely perfect like it's built like a cathedral by these really skilled artisans yeah yeah and what happens with that process is that products get developed in long intervals um, because people are waiting for them to be perfect to apply it to science uh, where I I was interested in this is when research is done in this kind of secretive uh, research groups where all of the the action and the the development of the research is done in I don't want to use that horrible phrase silos (laughs) but (laughs) but it's and then the product of research comes out and then you have all these competing groups who are not collaborating with each other in the development of the product so you only get the collaboration after the the product of research is released uh, to apply it to science. So, so the opposite to that uh, is called the bazaar model. Okay, and it is quite bizarre as well. Um, mm. yes, excuse me. So, uh, the bazaar uh, a bazaar is kind of one of those indoor marketplaces that you will see mostly in foreign countries like India. It's like chaos. So. If you go into a bazaar, there's chaos, there's stalls everywhere, there's nobody in charge, uh, everybody has their own agenda, everybody's trying to get the, the customer to their own stalls, um, there's, but everybody's contained within the one place, so there's, so there's the ability for everybody in the bazaar to, to collaborate at scale. In, in a kind of chaotic way, where yes, yeah. one person could, could propose an idea um, and people might completely reject that or they might say that's a really good idea and let's all work on that together Uh, so it's completely different to the cathedral model where people lock themselves away it's actually the collaboration starts much earlier in the process and this came in the late 1990s with the the linux uh operating system which went on to be to, to prove to be the the, it's used by 97% of the world's supercomputers, apparently. So it's a really successful... So, so the idea from software development was that if you've lots of people involved in the process earlier on in software development, you can spot the bugs a lot easier. So there's, it's kind of like more eyes, you can spot, it's easier to spot the bugs. Whereas if you finish, focus on the finished product, there could be loads of bu- bugs in that, in the software product but you'd have to go back retrospectively and change the whole product. So it's really, it's much harder to do that. So I, I just think it's a really cool way of, of looking at the, the, the benefits of open source research and getting that collaboration in earlier. And it, it shouldn't work because in the old way, it, like like w- when the Linux people tried this, they were really surprised that it actually did work because it's chaos and there's no one in charge and anybody can propose anything. But somehow it does work. And it's, Wikipedia is the same. Like Wikipedia shouldn't really work according to the, the old model, but it's an open source platform. And the information in Wikipedia is actually very good because the internet allows collaboration at scale and everyone puts in the information and updates it. And somehow it's, it's really good, even though it should be shit. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of old thinking as well that Wikipedia isn't accurate and isn't correct, but it's policed quite strongly and quite heavily in that, like, oh, anyone can edit it. But if you actually go and try and edit something, if it's not accurate, if it's not linked to a credible source, not in all cases now, obviously, but let's say you're on something like I'm on right now, the Criminal Minds uh, page on Wikipedia, because I'm about to talk about that. Like that TV show, if I went in there and I put in some absolute nonsense and I didn't reference reference it or cite references, it's going to be wiped and policed and it's going to go back to what it was beforehand. So Wikipedia is um, a great example of what you're talking about. Jess. Yeah, so there's a community where no, nobody's going to profit hugely from it. It's just the humans, human beings around the world, uh, a certain percentage of those people are keeping the system running. 
And that's all p- made possible by the internet and, and sharing of code and data and systems. So I, th- I think it's actually pretty cool. I actually feel quite ignorant now about this because it's kind of exactly related to what I do for a living, but I just never heard the uh, the terms cathedral and bazaar, but they do strike me as quite similar to project project methodologies that uh, companies apply. So one of them, which is like the cathedral one, is called Waterfall, where the project for software development is in stages, long, lengthy stages, and one bit leads into the next, which is where they get the term waterfall from. But then there's the agile method, which is kind of the opposite of that. Uh, encourages early collaboration, encourages small pieces of development at a quicker rate, and much more collaboration between developers and other people who are working on the project. So um, uh, the company I work for is more of a waterfall-based company, but agile is coming in. Um, but it's kind of a quite a difficult fit as well. So it, there have been like teething problems trying to get it in and change people's mindsets about what exactly we're doing and why we're doing it uh, when we've always done it this way why would we want to do it the other way agile sounds very similar to open source principles if if not open source like the the motto is release early release often yeah that's that's exactly the same with agile yeah so that it must be it must be open, open source but it is a bit different for people that you're deliberately putting your ideas out there as quickly as possible in unfinished format before it's perfect and you're saying this isn't i don't own this idea i'm sharing this idea i'm just a small cog in this and i have no idea what other people will do with it so it's completely different the way any product or uh, anything that's copyrighted is produced mm. and it's like the, the, the motto is almost like done is better than perfect um, but there's there's a vulnerability to that obviously but it's kind of people people's mindset is but it will be okay in the end just get it out there and see what's wrong with it and then fix yeah. it rather than waiting to, 12 months and then finding out oh shit there's loads on yeah there. exactly very good good stuff okay um, so criminal minds I've spoiled it already but uh, my kernel of wisdom is from criminal minds and I don't know if you've ever watched this series have you please inform me what that is I, I don't know exactly what that is Criminal Minds, it's a police procedural drama, so it's about the behavioural analysis unit uh, within the FBI, and they basically are uh, investigating serial killers, so it's a team of people, they investigate serial killers, and um, the the phrase unsub, uh, unnamed subject, is what they refer to the killer as before they actually find out who it is, so they do um, a psychological, uh, they create a psychological profile of what they think this killer is, what type of person he or she is and then they go and try to find them based on their psychological profile so it's been going on for years it's been i think there's 15 seasons of it now Uh, at the start of every episode they fly in a plane to wherever they're going to investigate the particular crime and uh, a private plane and there's often a quote almost every episode there's a quote at the start of some kind of piece of wisdom and one of them that sticks with me and stuck with me over the years is even a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step ah yes i've heard that one before yeah yeah, so it's an old Chinese proverb. So it wasn't like, and most of these things are old pieces of wisdom like that. But um, it's something that I come back to again and again when I feel I'm inundated with work or I've got loads of tasks to do or I've got a list of things that I need to accomplish and I haven't even started yet. And I just keep going back to that. And it's so true because wherever you're going, if you literally were going on a journey of a thousand miles, the first thing you have to do is step out of your apartment, get to the airport, whatever. But it also applies to your real life and having a list of tasks that seem to be smothering you and you think, I'm never going to get this done. There's far too much of it. But if you just apply your mind to the single step kind of concept, if you just keep making single steps one after the other, gradually, slowly but surely, you will start to get things done and you'll have accomplished something rather than letting the whole 
idea of the whole body of work or whatever you have to do phase you and stop you and make you procrastinate. I really like that. And I've used versions of that myself to motivate myself. I just realized uh, I, I probably used a version about one step at a time when you're climbing a mountain or something, something less eloquent than the criminal minds version. Um, but it, it also I, I was thinking of it uh, speaks to the need for patience um, because we when we I tend I think people in general or myself anyway when I try something new I want results instantly or and I just can get disheartened quite quickly that I haven't got to where I wanted yeah definitely there's an instant gratification uh culture probably nowadays maybe linking back to smartphones and all the stuff we have at our fingertips now that we didn't used to maybe 10 15 years ago but yeah yes patience is lacking across the board in many areas and in in my own personality as well so i have to go back to that phrase time and time again and just think to myself just keep working on it just keep doing it and gradually you'll see a result yeah and i wonder have we all have to be looking at goals in a much longer time period than is the norm now because the life is so fast-paced so busy our attention spans are so low i wonder are we looking at the short term a bit too much in terms of goals because imagine if we had a 10-year plan and you were patient and you took this you took the steps to where you wanted to be in 10 years then you would probably get there but i don't think people stick to that sort of time horizon yeah, well, I think t- uh, maybe 10 years is probably far too daunting for anyone to admit to themselves that they won't be where they want to be until a decade's time. In- interestingly, the, there's a theory of expertise that it's the 10,000 hour rule that you need 10,000 hours of deliberate practice in a in your field that you've chosen uh, to to be able to perfect the skills necessary to be an elite performer in that area. And that, that translates to about 10 years. I've heard of this all right, yeah. It's a flawed theory now, but... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds impressive it sounds that's the main good. thing it's a nice round number 10,000 right. hours so not to keep the listener here for 10,000 hours I think it's about time we wrapped up for this week but just want to do a bit of business before that so on our previous podcast we had a bit of a social media blurb uh, telling you where to go if you wanted to contact us on social media we haven't added that in at this point but I'm just going to mention the places you can contact us so if you want to contact us on Twitter it's at camera doom so that relates to the cameras action doom podcast network that's where we promote this podcast the feck and check in and sometimes make references to our previous podcasts open us and two-faced fake snakes so that's at camera doom if you want to contact us on facebook it's at feck and check in you can find our recently rebranded facebook page there and we also have a new email address which i've just set up so it's feck and check in at gmail.com so if you want to correspond with us via email please email us there and we will get back to you with any uh, queries or feedback or anything you might have and um, also I downloaded a few random podcast apps today just to see what the availability is like for this podcast. And it seems like we're pretty much everywhere. But if there's somewhere that we're not, please let us know. Because if you can't find this podcast and can't listen to it, but you would like to on your chosen podcast app, uh, we can fix that and we can make sure that it gets onto whatever platform it is you might use. Uh, Most people listen to us on Spotify. A lot of people listen on Google. Chrome is one of the most highly listened to platforms as well. But obviously there's a, a list, a huge list of other apps as well that people use. So if we're not available somewhere, let us know and we'll go and fix that. Absolutely. Okay, so that's it for this week on the Feck and Check-In. Any final words to me? Feck off. Mm-hmm.